I'd like to uh, start a course uh, of study, and as we did with the tabernacle of Moses, uh, I just started a course, and we went through a course on the tabernacle of Moses, and uh, it was helpful because many people hadn't heard um, or didn't know anything about the tabernacle of Moses, did they? And how many can remember? We actually did it. Oh, you can actually remember it. Um, it took six months. And, um, oh, you, yeah. um, it took six months of uh, going through things. And I want to go now and do another course. And it's on the Tabernacle of David. Now, there are books written about it. And if you buy the book, it will confuse you, uh, so don't. Um, because many of the books written about it uh, have slants and biases towards some of the doctrines that have come over uh, from restoration teaching and uh, uh, charismatic teaching and don't have a biblical base. Um, and uh, there's only two I know one's called The Power of His Presence uh, which is Graham Truscott's book but that came from India basically uh, and the New Life Center and then you've got another book that's written by the Restoration Churches by uh, I can't remember who um, but both of them uh, a lot of what they say is true but the conclusions they draw are totally wrong and one of the dangers always with studying anything is you can gain facts and those facts can be absolutely right but according to the bias or your stance doctrinally you're going to draw conclusions I'll give you an example which will um, really um, just thinking about it uh, comes to mind so I'll give you an example that um, some of you might have heard if you turn with me to Genesis let's go to Genesis see if I can pick it up quickly um, and you go to Genesis uh, let me think it would be about chapter 7 uh, Okay, and then, no, it, it will be chapter 8. Okay, let's take, no, it's chapter 6 we'll, we'll go to first. Okay, now you'll find holiness. I'm just taking this as an example to show you how it's, uh, you can, if you want to draw conclusions from Scripture, you can draw conclusions, all right? 
and in um, Genesis 6 verse 17 and behold I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die but with thee will I establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons wives with thee and every living thing of all flesh too of every sort alright now um, God says that he wants to do one thing and that is he wants to destroy all flesh alright now uh, if you belong to certain circulars and if you belong to certain things uh, you would be told that at the time of Noah all flesh was destroyed and here is a scripture that says God's word said I want to destroy all flesh follow? that's what it says doesn't it? okay but it says all flesh uh, and everything from under heaven uh, and everything that is in the earth shall die alright now we go on and you'll find in um, uh chapter 8 verse 1 and God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark and God made the wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged and the fountains also of the deep uh, and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rains from heaven were, was restrained and the waters were assuaged okay and then God comes in chapter 9 verse um, 1 and God uh, blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and, all, and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you that means you can't be a vegetarian you see hope you notice that even as the green herb have I given you all things but flesh with the life thereof which is the blood thereof shall you not eat now what were they not to eat? flesh hmm? with blood but flesh was meant to have been destroyed now if you go back to the holiness teachers they'll tell you it was destroyed but you see it wasn't destroyed because um, God caused Noah to take two of every kind and also Noah took into the ark with himself um, his sons, uh, his daughters and son-in-laws and you'll remember that uh, he had to curse his sons do you remember that? and um, their sin was pretty apparent um, and so right from the start you remember Noah got drunk and you see the flesh was still there what God had done is he destroyed the seed of the serpent when the sons of men had come down to the uh, when the sons of God had come down to the daughters of men God wiped that out because it was demons coming down and, and propagating terrible hideous things with uh, uh, mankind and so God wiped them out but man himself and the seed of man was preserved in Noah now all flesh wasn't done away that's why you'll find that Peter in the first epistle says uh, and Noah um, the eighth was saved Noah was the eighth person 
whereunto the figure of baptism doth now save us. Do you remember that in the epistle of Peter? Well, that's true, but because we're baptized in the Spirit doesn't mean that we don't have flesh, does it? Doesn't mean that we don't have intrinsic problems. What we do have at new birth is we have the power of sin broken and we have the ability now to walk a clean life outwardly. Now, beyond that, God comes and deals with us inwardly and things become sin as we go on that weren't sin when we started. Because, you see, a thing's only sin when God says, don't do it. Then it becomes sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Well, if you don't know, then it's not sin. Otherwise, why say to him that knoweth? Obviously, knowledge has something to do. That's why Paul wrote. He says, when the law came, sin revived, I died. I had not known sin without the law. So, there is a sense in which when I'm born again, lots of things that I used to get away with, with a totally clear conscience, void of offence, toward anyone, especially God, um, suddenly I can't do those things. And, you see, I can get into terrible condemnation if I say, well, just a minute, God's not dealing with my life. The fact that I now find there are things in my life that I'm not happy about proves that God's dealing with me. Doesn't it? Because before I did it in ignorance. And the times of ignorance, God winks at. The problem comes when someone comes and preaches the gospel to you. Before you were happy. Before you had no problems. All of a sudden, this guy comes along and says, Receive Jesus, and you'll be happy ever after. And you, you take it, you know, like a garlic soul you are. And you think, Oh, thank you, Jesus. All my sins forgiven. Hallelujah. And you take it on that basis. And for two weeks, you're happy. And then all of a sudden, bang! And you wonder what's hit you. It's called conviction. You mean I can't do that? I have to quit this? And God doesn't approve of that. And suddenly you find there's, there's a battleground. Now, some people would tell you you were totally delivered from it. So you were. You'll find that people who lived in adultery won't commit adultery. Hopefully. Uh, and people who were in outward sin, when they're born again, that power's broken... But then God begins to get hold of us and say, hey, but I want your life to be conformed to my life. And that's a lot different. And so, we get the dealings of God in our life. Now, very often we feel we're going backwards. It's an old song, I'm walking backwards for Christmas. And you feel you're, you're going back and you wonder why. Harry Seacombe. Um, you wonder why, misspent youth. Um, you wonder why you're going back that way it was with the goons and <laughs> you can't understand it I, and you think back how, how on earth could I and the reason is God's taking you forward and we need to realize that um, God's doing a new thing and uh, he's promised to do a new thing and make us new creations now, all these things are working on us. And you see, one of the problems is that with all of us, it gets to our head before it gets to our heart. 
And the danger is, when you have a real experience of God, to begin to live in your intellect level instead of heart level. And many of you have become quite expert in head level. And um, heart level doesn't get touched. And so we want to go on and discover the truths that are hidden in the scriptures and how we move the experience that we've got from our head to our hearts. Hmm? Now, I want to tell you that there are opposing forces who don't like you. Alright? Now they're called the enemy. That's why they oppose. Now, thoughts that come into your mind come from one of three sources. And you have to know which source they come from. They can come from God. Alright? They can come from an overworked brain, which few of us have. Or they can come from the enemy, the devil, and his little minions, the little black men that run around telling stories. And they come from one of three sources. But we think we're thinking. Hmm? Now, God brings us a positive faith. The enemy brings us deception. God brings us life. The enemy ministers death. So I always know that when God speaks, it's life to my soul. When the enemy speaks, it's going to be in death. So there's one easy way of identifying who's talking, isn't it? Hmm? And I need to realize that everything of discouragement and despondency and darkness comes from the enemy's camp. And I need to stop listening to him. Now I stop listening by exerting my will and refusing to accept what he says. It's as simple as that. In other words, I control my mind and I begin thinking about something else. Whatsoever things are pure, just, good report, think on these things. Now the reason you do that is because if you don't do that, then your brain will get filled with other thoughts. So you need to keep your brain occupied Godward. Passivity is an opening for the enemy. And so we need to set our minds on a course toward God. If anything comes into my mind that's contrary to scripture, then I know that that's the enemy. If anything comes in to suggest doubts, then I know that's the enemy. Now I'm not going to have an argument with him, because he's wrong and there is no argument because God's word's true isn't it hmm? so I can come out of many of my bondages simply by determining only to receive what's of God a living by it. whatsoever things are pure, just and of good report think on these things now the reason I have to think on these things is because that sets me free inside Many people live in bondage and doubts and fears and those fears come purely from the fact that they open their heart to the enemy and begin to reason with him. And you see, he has a superior intellect to yours. He was the anointed cherub in the garden and therefore his intellect is very high. And you can't outwit him or out-argue him. 
So don't try. You just set your heart and your mind on thinking whatsoever things are pure, just and good report. Now, if he says to you that God doesn't love you and God won't receive you, you can say, well, you're a liar. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hmm? So, well, he won't accept you. You say, well, he says, if any man come to him, he'll no wise cast him out, and I'm someone. See? Even if I'm a nobody, I'm someone. I'm some nobody. <laughs> and I'm coming to God, and I come to him on the basis that he has promised that if I come to him, he'll no wise cast me out. So the devil says, well, you won't get through. Ah, well, God says, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. So you're wrong. And you see, you can refute it with the word of God and you'll find word of God becomes life in your soul and you begin to live it. The enemy can say to you, well, it's not going to work and that's a lie, isn't it? God said, let there be light. Enemy says, well, you're in darkness. All right, God said, let there be light. Lord, let there be light in my soul. It was a creative word. <coughs> Go to a situation, you find it's darkness, get down and pray and say, Lord, you commanded light to shine in the dark place, you shine in me. Tell me the solution, and God will. See, so you walk in a very simple area of life, don't you? Hmm? Is that the way your mind works? Hmm? Why not? That's a normal Christian life. Well, how does your mind work then? Okay, now, it's nothing to do with what I want to talk about. I was just giving you an example. Um, it's a very practical way of living, you know. Don't you live like that? No? Don't you realize that there is an enemy out to destroy your soul, and therefore you have to, you have to um, live by the word of God? You see... Uh, the serpent came to Jesus and said alright if you're the son of God do this but he was the son of God impertinent little thing how dare he come and say that to Jesus and Jesus refuted it with the word of God and we have to learn to live in faith and walk in faith and that's what we're called to do alright now there is opposition but opposition is there to make you strong there's the force of gravity that exists in this world isn't there alright now if there was no gravity you wouldn't you'd be a, a jellyfish you wouldn't develop muscles the reason you've got muscles is because you had to learn to stand you had to learn balance and you had to learn to lift things didn't you now the reason you did that was because there's a law of gravity. That's what developed your muscles. And without a law of gravity, you'll find you'll become underdeveloped. That's why astronauts who are stupid enough to fly around the world for some reason and experiment with little rats up in heaven. They could stay down here and experiment with rats. There's plenty. Um, they... They, they, they go up there I mean what a mindless thing to do but they find that they have to do physical exercises of certain types now nothing has any weight therefore it's difficult to exercise when your body floats 
imagine your tomato soup floats up the plate, you know. I mean, the whole thing is pretty stupid, really. And you never know which way is up, up the right way, do you? Huh? Always feel as though you're standing on your head. And you've no sense, and your body functions because of gravity. Now, spiritually speaking, the thing that gives you stability is opposition. You see, you only become strong and stable because of opposition. Because that teaches you how to flex your spiritual muscles. It's just the force of gravity. God uses it. I mean, it's handy if you don't have the force of gravity. I mean, when you drop the china plate, it just goes upwards and you kind of take it out of the air and put it in the rack, you know, if you're stupid enough to wash up for your wife. And... Um, if there was no gravity there, it would just float. And lots of things, you know, you'd go into your living room and you'd sit on your chair that tilts back and suddenly you'd find you were floating. I mean, it'd be awful, wouldn't it? Hmm? Go to the bathroom, fill a bath, and all the water goes up to the ceiling. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, it caused complications. I've always wondered how they bath in the kind of astronauts, maybe... I mean, they don't. That's why they keep them, you know, when they come down, they keep them in a glass tube. <laughs> know now why they do that, don't you? Take them to a decontamination centre. After three months up there, you need one. Special old spice bureau. And, but when, when you reckon it all out... It's one of those nights. When you reckon it all out... Uh, it, it needs gravity to really get strength. You imagine going and picking up 300 pounds with no gravity, I mean. Pick it up with your little finger. Flick it round. I mean, you couldn't do press-ups. I can't do them anyway. <laughs> but uh, it's more than 300 pounds I'll have to push up, I think. But... Um, if you get my shoulders off, it's the middle bit, the stick. Um, but you realise, you realise all the problems. I could do 500 without gravity. Uh, and we have to realise that opposition's God-given. It's a real gift from God. And we need to use opposition in the right way. Now, doubts and the enemy putting fears on you is all gifts from God. All right? Now, you might not like it that way, but that's the way it is. Otherwise, what we'd have in heaven was people who'd not learned any discipline and hadn't learned how to live. Can you imagine, uh, um, Susan was talking to me, you know, people are complaining about discipline in the play school, some of the mothers. Now, it makes me annoyed. Um, because, you see, I believe in discipline. But some mothers let their little brats do anything. And they become bigger brats, don't they? In fact, they're unmanageable little wretches, animals. And it's horrible. Go to a house where... The children are allowed to run around. I went to a pastor's house, and I think I told you, the little child of 
five or six, picked up the vinegar bottle and emptied it on the cake on the table. Being one of my kids, it would have had a singing bottom for the next ten minutes. And uh, the mother just turned round, the wife turned round and said, oh, it's too much trouble to discipline her. Makes too much noise. I thought, well, yeah. I had some words with a pastor as I was leaving. Uh, told him what I thought of that. But um, we have to... Re- I didn't eat any of the cake. I don't like cake with vinegar on it either. <laughs> but we have to realise... It really happened. Ask my wife. She was sitting there. Could have knocked the little thing over the room. And you realise that that's awful, isn't it? There's nothing more hideous than that. But you see, the human mind doesn't like to be bound by realms of discipline, especially in your mind. Your mind is left woolly. You're allowed to think what you like. You're taught that, you know, freedom of expression and freedom of thought. Aren't you? Everyone goes round and say, you must be free to think and believe what they do. That's basically it. That's what man... The great philosophers and the great uh, so-called hobnobs of this world, they want freedom of thought so they can get everyone to agree with them. Uh, I don't believe any of them. I believe God's word. And I believe in the freedom to be able to limit my thoughts to God's word and into line with what God says. All right? Now that's necessary if I want freedom. If I want to live the life of a child of God, then all my thoughts and all my ideas must be bought and restricted to what God says. God says it, it's fine. If God doesn't say it, I don't want to know. And therefore, I stop all my extraneous thoughts and I kick them out. And I begin to discipline my inward life. Now, when I'm converted, I don't really do that because I've always lived the way of just thinking what I want to think. But when I come to Christ, then there's got to be that discipline. All right? Now, how many live that way? Now you know why you think you're not getting anywhere. God says that we're to bring every thought into subjection. How many? Now you know why you don't feel you're progressing. Because you let your mind become just a a kind of... um, uh, uh, um, a slop dish, really. You know, it's like I went up the River Thames with John and Peachy. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. And um, when we got in the quay, you know, we went on the boat up the Thames after seeing the Tower of London. And as we were coming down in the boat, as we pulled into the quay, um, where the water sloshed up against the quayside, there was a kind of bit of water locked in, and it got all the rubbish and filth that came down the surface of the Thames all seemed to get stuck in there. Always does, doesn't it? Funny, you know. Always gets stuck in some nook or cranny. And you see all the slop and the filth gets stuck in some nook and cranny in your brain. And it just sloshes around there. 
And when you sit down and you start thinking, all the muck and filth is all sloshing round in your mind. And you've never learnt that you've got to keep your mind pure. It says, whatsoever things are pure, just and good report. Think on those things. Now, if I'm thinking about what the enemy would want to sow in my mind or what the world would want to tell me, then I'm going to have all the slop and filth. Now, consequently, it's going to affect my life. I'm going to live in defeat. But when I say, no, I won't have that, I begin to move into a new realm with God. Discipline. Wonderful, isn't it? We're called to be disciples, aren't we? That means disciplined ones. Ones who are taught. Taught of God. Now my whole mind and my way of thinking has got to be trained. For instance, I went to school years ago and they taught me that two and two was four. And they taught me that three twos are six and four twos are eight. And I think, though one wouldn't be sure with the modern methods, that still applies. Except they have binary systems now whatever they are, and uh, you, you come to a realization that those are ways you have to think. And then they teach you how to think in quantities. And then they teach you how to think in distance. Now those are ways that your mind is trained to think. And then you get some people like Chris who are trained in computer language. And since then no one can understand him and it's little wonder. <laughs> All he thinks in his brain is dot dash, splurge, splidge, and, or whatever they say. And that's why Jamie and Claire enjoy it so much. She's writing programs all the time, dot, dot, dash. And he's dashing and dotting as well. And, and you know, you're, you're thinking, but it's a way of thinking, isn't it? In other words, you're translating uh, uh, actions into a code to put them into a machine. And you're bringing them down to thought. Now in our life, we translate our thoughts into actions. But our thoughts have to get put in there. And what you think is what you'll become. Now I therefore must learn, if I want to become Christ-like, to bring all my thoughts and all my mind and all my heart into tune with God. And I must push out everything that would deviate me from that. Now that's simple, isn't it? Hmm? Whatsoever things are pure, just, good report, think on those things. So if the enemy comes along, as he has done to me, I was sitting in the conference, okay, and the meeting was going on, and I was beginning to worship God, and the enemy came to me, and it just came, no, it didn't come with uh, horns, you know, and a tail sticking out the back and up over his shoulder with a little point on it. And hooves like a goat. Now that's not the way it came to me. But the thought just suddenly brushed over my mind. All of a sudden, just like that, came, you know, this is stupid. This isn't having any effect on anyone. As I was looking at the people worshipping. You're crazy here. We're just going crazy. Uh, that just came into my mind and I looked round 
I thought, hey, I'm not thinking that. You smutty face, get out of here. I mean, that was the enemy. But, you know, he put it there. Now, you see, other people might have sat there and began to think about it and reason, well, is he right or isn't he? Is that so or isn't it? So I saw it was smutty face. Well, I don't talk to him. Send him to Coventry. Wish he'd stay there. Um, he's got a terrible cathedral he could live in. Um, <laughs> blew all down one side. But the, the, the thing is, you realise that that's how the enemy gets at your mind. And he'll suddenly trick you into thinking along a line that's anti-God. But he does it ever so subtly. Come in and just suggest something and get you thinking along that line. So once I notice that something suddenly comes against the flow of what God's saying or what God's doing or what God's word says, I cut it off there. Just say, no. And that's it. You see, because I have a free will and my will is in control of my mind. Now, if you start living like that, you will find it'll take you um, maybe a month or two, but you'll find that you can gain control of your mind. And really, with many of you, your problem's all in the mind. Because you've led such indisciplined lives in your thought life, therefore the enemy has easy access, and he'll put thoughts in your mind and you begin thinking them through. Through what? A fog? You go on and you go on and the enemy will build things and it's the first lie that you accept that begins to be the foundation stone of his little building. And he'll build a, a little thought in your mind and then you come to a meeting and bang, it'll get knocked down. And you think, oh, praise God, I see that was wrong, the enemy's a liar. And you begin to rejoice in God but you see, if you don't close the gate where he came in, which is your ear gates, you go home and within an hour or two he's slipped another thought into your mind and you began thinking that way and he rebuilds what you just knocked down. Paul talked about the pulling downs of the stronghold of Satan which were in the mind. The way he builds them up is to get you to think about things. Now you understand that, do you? Eh? that clear so I don't accept anything in my mind that I know is not con is not in uh, total um, agreement with God's word I just won't accept it that means I'm very narrow-minded and the scripture said narrow is the way and few there be that find it so to be narrow-minded is safe to be broad-minded is disaster. That's why I don't embrace everything. I only embrace a short, narrow way. And that's the way I'm going to live. And if you want to come that way, it's called a highway of holiness, then you can get on to it. But if you don't want it, goodbye, God bless you, find somewhere else. And that's it. We've got to go God's way, haven't we? Hmm? and you see it's got to come to a matter of inward discipline you say well do you mean sanctification is inward discipline no 
you'll find that there'll be battlegrounds. Once you try to bring your mind under control, you'll find the enemy won't agree with it. And he will begin lobbing grenades. Now you have one of two choices, throw them back and do damage to his kingdom, or hold them in your hand and look at them till they explode. And then you get splattered. And then we'll have to take you to the hospital, a meeting, kind of get you stuck back together, like Humpty Dumpty, and back you go on your way till the next time you look at one and boom, blows up. And people are like that, you know. Now you all understand what I'm saying, do you? Huh? It's clear to your mind. You see, the stronghold of Satan's in the mind. He can get you to think something that's reasonable. For instance, this lie about um, evolution. Well, I mean, everyone knows you've only got to look outside. I look today at the punk rockers and you can't say man's evolving, he's devolving. <laughs> I, I mean, look at it, pins in their noses, they're devolving. Aren't they? Going downhill. Fast. I mean, that's yuck. You go to San Francisco, and, and uh, Peter and I uh, had the television on the other night, and there was this film, you know, police film about San Francisco, and it actually showed the way it was in San Francisco. It's awful there. Anything goes in San Francisco. They had a documentary about it, you know, and, and they openly and blazingly put on homosexuals and lesbians and they boast that that's acceptable now well I'm a Christian that's evil you know wicked sinful and you'll go to hell if you practice that and therefore uh, we don't take that as a stand mankind's running that way though isn't it hey that you the children are all revolting against their parents they're taught that, you know, you, well, I mean, in Sweden, the children can divorce their parents. Yeah, you can divorce your parents once you're at the age of nine. You divorce. Go to a court and you can get rid of your parents. It's called child liberation. They liberated the women, now they're liberating the children. I mean, how ridiculous can you get in society? It's a breakdown of everything, lawlessness coming in, you see, and everything's getting broken down. Now, I need my mind to be free of all that, and I need to set my heart on what God says, and that is my standard, nothing else. For instance, it says in the scripture, spare the rod, you spoil the child. Now that means that I cannot reason with a child, I make his backside sing. Now the reason is that that is God's method. Alright? Now there is no other method of discipline. Say, so, well, I believe you can do... Well, I believe the Bible. And the reason there's lawlessness in the land and in the world is because people have given up God's standard and God's ways and they've said, oh, well, you know, now we understand our children, you know, 
They need self-expression. I mean, sin doesn't need expressing, does it? It needs dealing with. Hmm? You deal with rebellion. It says the sin of witchcraft. If a child rebels, you beat its backside and you let it know that it's going to have to submit. And if you don't do that in the early days of its life, you have a real rebel on your hands by the time it's eight and nine. Now, that's God's method. Proverbs tells us that. Now, if I forsake God's method for any other method, I'm committing suicide. My mind just thinks God's way. I'm narrow. People say, well, you're old-fashioned, you're unreasonable. Quite right. Who said God was reasonable? He isn't. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways aren't your ways. Didn't he? No, it's totally unreasonable. He doesn't kind of come to you and say, well, would you like to come to an agreement on what we should do, son? He just says, this is the way it is, son. You do it. Say, but uh, I belong to a union. I won't be bossed around like that. God doesn't seem to bother. Vic Feather or Len Murray or someone can go to God. He won't change his mind. Although they think they're gods and can change everyone's for them. I mean, the, the thing is that God's standard's God's standard, and that's, that's what I believe. Don't you? Hmm? Now, if you want to live in freedom and you want to go on with God, what you've got to do is adopt God's ways. Simple as that. Isn't that good? All right? Now, you all agree with that. Okay, now we've introduced what we want to talk about. Got you to the right place. Now, you're sure you agree? Hmm? So if I show you something that's God's way and God's method, are you prepared to do it? No? You are. Right, if it's God's way, you're going to give yourself to it, are you? Well, are you? Well, are you? Well, are you? I'm looking at you, are you? No, the one behind. Yes, yeah, you didn't say yes, you see. Uh, so I look at everyone, you know, round about. I want to see everyone saying yes. You're, you're prepared. Whatever God says, you're going to do it. Huh? Now you're sure. No, well, no, no. Now you're sure. Huh? I'm not trying to catch you. I mean, you know I wouldn't do that. Look, take my jacket off. I've nothing up either sleeve. You know I wouldn't do that. Would I? Uh, you're prepared to do whatever God says. Hmm? Sure? Hmm? You see, this is the way we have to live. Got to take God's standard and God's way and 
Right, Lord, that's it. Okay, well, if you're, now you're sure you're prepared to do it. Huh? Right, now, we'll go to the scriptures. Now, you're absolutely sure you're committed to this, aren't you? Are you, Jean? You're absolutely sure, are you? Huh? Yes, yes, yes. He was just saying we, you know. That's in French. Yeah, okay, we'll go to Amos then. Now, you've made a commitment, and God heard you. Yeah, God hears, you see. It says, let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. Whatsoever's more than that, sin. And God heard your commitments, you see. And as you know, I wouldn't catch you. Okay, it says in uh, chapter 9, have you found Amos? Chapter 9, it says, Behold, in verse 8, The eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. Now he's going to destroy the kingdoms of this world. Make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ. Verse 8 of chapter 9. Alright? Now, God is going to judge this kingdom. When you consider the godlessness of this nation, God's judgment's upon it. Now, you do understand that. Unless God brings revival, this nation is going down the tube. And these forces and the rebellions and the unions and the powers are raised up of God to destroy. God's permitting them to be raised up and these men of hatred and of greed are raised up of God to bring destruction. Alright? And they're instruments in God's hand. Instruments of the devil, of course. But they're instruments in God's hand. Scargills and all these men you think they're just they don't get their power just by fluke they've got tremendous spirit forces working behind them cursing mobs by these men they've got spirit power behind them you understand that don't you hmm? that's why you know no Christian should be a member of a union because of course if you're a member of a union you're a member of a a vile thing really see the only union I belong to is the union of the sons of God called the kingdom of God hope you remember that anyway it says um, that he's going to sift them for lo I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. I want to tell you, if people think that the evil isn't going to come and overtake us and prevent our lives, I want to tell you, God says, if you're one of those that says that, you're going to get cut off with violence by the sword. There's a lot of people standing up today um, in the name of Christ saying, that um, God's going to revive this country God's not going to let evil overtake it they'll turn around to you and say communism could never come here they'll tell you that uh, you know God will do something and this country which has always been a Christian country won't go to the dogs 
Well, here you are in the prophecy, prophetically foretold. People will say that, and they're the ones that are going to get cut off with the sword. So it's wise not to be one of them, isn't it? Hmm? Well, isn't it? Something I don't want to be, one of those. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that it, they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treaders of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not of this world. Jesus said so. He said, if it was of this world, my children would fight. All right? Now, you'll notice he says that he's going to restore the tabernacle of David in verse um, 11. And in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Now many people don't even realize that there is a tabernacle of David. We've done it before, some of you will remember we've done it. But the tabernacle of David was a tabernacle which was different from the tabernacle of Moses. And we're going in to study it in depth over the next month or two or three or four. But the thing is, that what we have to realize is that the tabernacle of David brought in a totally different dispensation for the children of Israel. And God said he was going to restore the tabernacle of David. That was the prophetic word. Now he did not say, I will restore the temple. And he didn't say, I'll restore Moses' tabernacle. And you'll remember that there was a temple built by Solomon and there was a temple built by Ezra and there was, in Jesus' time, it was the temple that Herod had built. It wasn't Solomon's temple that Jesus went to. You know that, don't you? Um, but we have to realize that God said, no, I'll restore the tabernacle of David. All right? Prophetically foretold. And then you can look, let's go... So the next place really, um, Acts 15. Now I'm only just introducing this, not going any further than an introduction tonight to get your minds thinking, then you can search it out yourselves. All right? And it says this in... Acts 15 verse 13 then all the multitude in verse 12 kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Saul 
declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought amongst the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Okay, James, talking of the experience of the Gentiles, says, God and the prophets spoke about this, but the way they spoke about it was they said there would be a restoration of the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. Now you will know that the ark at the time of the Acts of the Apostles was nowhere, no one knows what happened to it, but it wasn't anywhere to be seen or found. The ark of the covenant had gone. And no one in the scriptures, I know Paul was a tent maker, but he hadn't started building a tent. So the building that they were building or putting up of the tabernacle of David was nothing to do with a tent, was it? Hmm? But God said, I'll do it. Now James says, this prophecy proves that Peter's right to go to the Gentiles. This prophetic word is the proof that God intended to reach the Gentiles. So James saw it as the fact that at that time and from Pentecost on, what God was doing was he returned and he was building again the tabernacle of David which had fallen down. And it says, I will build again the ruins thereof. I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles. Therefore, he was saying, look, we Jews are seeking after the Lord and the Gentiles are being brought into this because this is what was spoken of in Amos. It's the restoration of the tabernacle of David. So he, James, the Lord's brother, saw that what was happening, this was a restoration of the tabernacle of David. You say, well... How? Well, that's something we need to go into. What it entailed and what it meant. But I want to go back, first of all, to how the opening of the tabernacle of David came to the Gentiles. Because most of you are Gentiles. I haven't checked. But your noses <coughs> do appear to give you that Gentile look except for one or two, and they shall be nameless. And so, we are talking to Gentiles, and um, I need to know what was it that brought about that experience that he could say, well, this is the restoration. Don't I? Hmm? Right, let's go back 
and you see uh, verse 7 of this chapter says and when there had been much disputing P Peter rose up now now people were very upset and were saying these Gentiles who got converted better keep all the law of Moses Peter rose up and said men and brethren you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe and God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us and put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith alright in other words Peter's saying right now by my mouth the Gentiles heard and God put no difference between them and us he gave them the Holy Ghost and he purified their hearts alright that's the work of the Holy Ghost bring inward holiness and then you go back uh, and you'll find uh, let me see I have to think now okay in chapter chapter 10 now you remember that um, Peter had come to Joppa uh, and uh, he began to open his mouth in verse 34 then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ he is the Lord of all that word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea and begun from Galilee after the baptism which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem who they slew and hanged on a tree him God raised up the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but unto witnesses chosen before of God even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead to, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins while Peter yet spake these words the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and then answered Peter can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord then prayed they him to tarry certain days alright the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on these people now Peter was so long-winded in his sermon God poured out the Holy Ghost because he got fed up with listening to it uh, and so preachers need to learn to cut it down but here we have an example of um, this is a Bible study you see so it's different um, 
he was speaking and the Holy Ghost was outpoured. Now this is a, an, a, a case where you will have very often people will talk to you and tell you there you are, you see the Holy Ghost is given and look Cornelius' household received the Holy Ghost, they were all baptized with the Holy Ghost as at the beginning. Alright? And they will all tell you that. And then they will tell you that you can be baptized with the Holy Ghost to come out and we'll lay hands on you and you'll speak with tongues, say banana backwards and you're off, you know, or whatever they want to do. Um, they'll try and shake it into you if they can, you know, <laughs> receive, or, oh dear. Uh, I mean, I've seen all the crackpot methods. Well, they'll spend half an hour and then they'll say, say after me, shabu bamba, or whatever it is, I don't know. Uh, a load of hogwash. Um, it says the Spirit gives utterance. Anyway, now you see, these people receive the Holy Ghost, but, and here's the but about it, this was the restoration of the Tabernacle of David, and there are only certain people that receive, and I want you to look at the qualifications of these people that receive. You see, you remember we dealt with Acts chapter 2, and who were the people who received? Huh? Devout Jews out of every nation. Hmm? God chose devout, he didn't choose anyone to give the Holy Ghost to, it was devout. Now, look back. There was a certain man in chapter 10 verse 1 in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of a band called the Italian band and it's not a jazz band, it was an army. <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. A devout man. And one that feared God with all his house. Now what was he? Devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God once in a while. Hmm? Once in a while. Oh, so that's not speaking about someone like you. Is it? Now you see, once you start looking at the qualifications for receiving, you begin to say, it's little wonder that I haven't received much. So many people expect to receive without paying the price. Imagine going into a shop, you know, somewhere like Harrods, picking up a mink coat and trying to walk out with it. Get arrested for stealing. The reason you get arrested is because you have to pay the price. Don't you? Now you can't have the gifts of God if you won't come his way. There is a price attached to everything. You say, well, I thought it was all free grace. So it is. You don't deserve it. You have no right to it. But God in his graciousness has provided it. Providing you pay the price. So do you mean I've got to pay the price? Yes, you've got to pay the price. But I thought salvation was free. So it is. But who said this was salvation? 
says that God gives the Holy Spirit to them who obey him. A lot of you can't get filled with the Holy Ghost because you're not in the right state to be filled. A lot of you have never received the fire of God because you don't fulfill God's conditions. Say, so, well, I thought I received it by faith. Well, you received something by faith, but it wasn't the Holy Ghost. It must have been the wrong ghost. So, well, I, I thought, uh, I speak with tongues, so what? Do that by your human spirit. Adam and Eve had all the gifts of the Spirit and the God. We won't go into that at this point. Um, did you know that? Oh, well. Okay, he prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Now he was praying always, and he saw in a vision, evidently uh, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. It's nice, isn't it, have a house by the seaside? He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel, which spake unto Cornelius, was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. I want you to notice, he entrusted it. Even the messengers were devout men. Do you see? Devout people in his household. In other words, this man was devout. He prayed continually to God. Now, God chose to restore the tabernacle of David, and this was the Gentile household he chose to begin with. Now, if you're finding that you aren't getting the goods, it's because you aren't paying the price. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and draw nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. All right? And you know what happened. The thing was let down. Um... Um, verse 20, Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Um, but Peter went down to the men which were sent from, from, unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause whereof you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. 
but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsay as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore what, for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was a fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call thither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. And immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore all we we now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. What a household. What friends. Why have they come together? Hmm? To hear what God was going to say. What's God commanded you to tell us, Peter? But they were fasting and praying. Now, God chose to bring in people into the tabernacle of David who were fasting, praying, devout men, seeing angelic visions. And all his friends that he got in were devout men coming together to hear what God was going to say. Now how many of you matched up to that and had fasted and prayed and sought God when someone told you you could receive the Holy Ghost? Now you know why you didn't receive. You see, we've all been brainwashed into believing that God's just going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Doesn't matter what state you're in, come to Jesus, he'll meet you. But he won't. He's not going to come and inhabit someone who hasn't got his life put right. He's not going to come to someone who spends half his time thinking sin, doing sin in his heart, and living a wayward life. He won't come. He won't come to someone who won't spend time drawing nigh to him. If you find that you're getting nowhere with God, it's because you're not getting into a place where you can hear him. Where is bread and to spare? In Father's house. What have you got to do to get there? Arise and go. Leave your pig pen and your sin behind and you've got to go there. Now it's a journey and it takes effort. The first day he set out, he didn't arrive. And the second day and the third day. And he had to determine that whatever it took, whether it killed him, he was going to get through to God. He was going all the way. And that is the only way you'll ever get through to God. Do 
You want to know an easy way? That's it. I want to tell you it's the only way. Straight is the gate, narrow the way, and few there be that find it. Now the reason there are few that find it, look at Cornelius. I mean, the angel said, go and send to this chap who's called Simon the Tanner, lives by the seaside. And off he goes, he sends these fellows, devout men, to collect him. Simon Peter was there. God had taken the trouble to give Simon Peter a vision because this man had been praying. Said to Simon Peter, all right, well, there's three men coming for you. You go with them. But before he told Peter he's not to call anything unclean that God calls clean. And so Peter was ready. They send for Peter, he comes along. They say, this is what happened, Peter. Now you say whatever God's telling you to say. Peter began to speak it out, and the Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, tell me, why doesn't he fall on you? May I suggest some reasons? Well, tell me, why didn't he fall on you? Hmm? Is anyone awake out there? Why didn't he fall on you? Because you're playing with God. See, God's laid down conditions. If you want God and you'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. He promises that. But you've got to pay the price. You do understand that. All right? You really understand that, do you? Hmm? There is a price to be paid, and there is no shortcut. You say, well, I come to the meetings and I cry and I weep. Bully for you. Take an onion in your handkerchief. You can easily do it then. That's not getting through to God. It might go down on the floor and you might get some of your sin dealt with, but it won't bring you through to God. You've got to really seek God with all your heart. Say, well, I, I get so frustrated I can't get through. Of course you can't. God doesn't intend you to. You see, if I won't go God's way and God has said I've got to draw nigh to him, I've got to seek him with my whole heart, now what does seeking God with your whole heart mean? Well, I suggest that a good example is Cornelius. Don't you? Hmm? Well, do you think so? Isn't that a good example? I'll show you another example. You see, now Acts of the Apostles has been put over to us by the charismatics in the way that all can come and just get blessings without any cost. 
You know, look, God's pouring out the Holy Ghost on all flesh. The promise is for your sons and his daughters and as, to as many as are far off, even as the Lord our God shall call. But who does he call? He calls those who are truly seeking after him with all their heart. Now, one of the things that's amazing is the grace of God that when his spirit does fall on a people, he'll touch those who haven't been seeking him in his mercy and grace. And they'll move into giftings. But it won't abide. You see, they won't get their light. They'll live under someone else's light. Take the man of God away and the church falls apart. How many times have you heard of a man who's got a real gift from God, functions in a church, he leaves and the church disintegrates? Why does the church disintegrate? Because they're living under his light. They haven't got their own. Remember Lot? Lived with Abraham, walked with God while he was with Abraham. Moment Abraham went, he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, but he had an experience of God, so he did. They, the scripture says that he was a righteous man. But he still ended up in the wrong place, didn't he? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now your life can be cleaned up, your life can be dealt with, but we need to develop a relationship that's a living relationship with the Christ of God, don't we? Hmm? We want revival, don't we? Hmm? I want my heart set aflame with fire, don't you? Now there's only one way for that to happen. Now there is no shortcut. There is no way around it. If I will not pay the price and seek God, I cannot find him. And if you won't pay the price and seek God, you won't find him. Now, I know that I can say this to each one of you tonight, and tomorrow it won't mean a thing. You won't alter your lives because I've told you so. Many of you would just forget it. You'd go off back to your old ways. Most of you wouldn't even pay the price. But it's part of the price we have to pay. I don't say that to condemn you. I'm just stating a fact. You know, I'm not wanting to beat you down. I'm just stating a fact that there's many of you just will listen to a sermon and you'll go your way and you by tomorrow morning you wouldn't even be able to tell me what I preached. You see, because your mind's like this slot pool. All the rubbish just goes in and out all the time. Now God wants to meet you. He wants to clean you up. He wants to bring you to himself. But there is a price to pay. Now some of you would say, if I were to say to you, well are you prepared to pay the price? You'd say, yes I am. But you wouldn't mean it. I'll give you an example. How many, when John preached the other day, made vows to God? Now I want you to be absolutely honest. How many have kept them to the letter? 
numbers decrease, don't they? How many didn't? That's what I mean. I won't take long before the rest have fallen into line. Tragic, really, isn't it? Hmm? It's interesting, the tabernacle of David, isn't it? Hmm? When you compare what it, you know, what it's going to be built up of, it's going to be built up of people like Cornelius. And his household, men who are faithful, kept their vows. Isn't it important that if we make a vow to God, do you remember? God's in heaven, I'm upon earth. Do you remember? Hmm? You all remember that, do you? See, I find that um, I've got a conscience. I made a vow to God and uh, I've kept my vow and I intend to keep it because I know that he's watching. Now it's not a case of big brothers watching you. Father's watching. He's the father of glory. Now I know that I might kid you but I couldn't kid him. I don't want to kid you and I don't want to kid him. But I know that there's only one way whereby we can see the glory of God come down. And that is, we've got to pay the price. Now in the early days when the church was forming and God wanted to birth something, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon us, unreservedly, bang. We didn't really do much for it, God did it sovereignly. How many were here then? All right, it was easy, wasn't it? Hmm? And God did that to show us and give us a taste of what it was really like. Now, I want to tell you something. You'll never get that back and the greater depth of it until you're prepared to pay the price. God says, that's the taste. Now, I want to get your lives right so when he comes, next time you can contain the blessing and live on in it that is what the restoration of the tabernacle of David is all about there are times of refreshing that come from the Lord but I want the latter rain don't you hmm? I want something established that stays don't you many of you have had experiences of God that have been tremendous You've had a touch from God where you've had a real experience of the Holy Ghost and then you've found that the thing has waned. Hmm? Do you know what I'm talking about? How many have found that? Now, do you know why? Because God was giving you a taste and then he says, all right, now you've got to shape up. That's the taste. You can have far better, far deeper and more continual. 
but I'm sorry, your life's got to be amended first. And so God just says, right, now you've got to pay the price, you've got to draw nigh to me, sanctify yourselves. And you see, God, when he built the tabernacle of David, now the charismatics and the people like, I suppose the books that are written on it, all emphasize the fact you can go straight in. I'm telling you, you can't. You see, I've got to be at least a Levite before I can enter the tabernacle of David. And that takes lots of consecrations and cleansings. Remember? We studied it. Remember the leper? Before he could get in? All right? Now, those dealings of God have got to go on in the life. There is no way around them. That's what God's been doing with many of us. But now comes the time where we've got to be serious. We've got to get down the business and we've got to say, all right, I really want to go through with God. I really want to have the dealings of God. I really want to see revival. I want the fire of God in my life. Don't you? Hmm? Right, now I said to you earlier, if you knew what God's price was, would you be prepared to pay it? Well, would you? Hmm? Oh, would you? Now don't forget, God's in heaven, you're on earth. Would you? It means that you've got to continually pray to him always. It means you've got to bring into captivity every thought of the mind, you've got to live the word of God, you've got to push out of your life everything that's superfluous. And you've got to begin to cry to him with all your heart and seek his face. Now that is the price that God requires. <clears throat> and there is no short measure. But I believe that if we pay that price, God will meet us on those terms. I know as a pastor I have greater responsibility. I have to pay a higher price. And it was one of the misfortunes of being promoted to a pastor. And I know that if I don't go, the people won't go. But I'm just telling you, that is how the tabernacle of David's restored. And we're going to study the tabernacle of David. And we're going to go into what it actually means in worship, in praise, and in brokenness, in the dealings of God. Did you know that most of the hymns came out of the Tabernacle of David? Great deal of them. Prophetically sung. Now you see, they weren't all these up Mother Brown choruses, were they? There were cries to God to deal with lives. There were cries to God to take them on. There were cries to God not to leave them in dry places. Remember the psalm? And they were written prophetically 
and sung prophetically. The chief musicians used to sing those before God because they were their heartfelt feelings. Written to be sung before the Lord God by Levites. Wouldn't you like to sing those in the spirit? Hmm? I don't mean we're going to become Anglicans and chant hit psalms for the rest of our lives. Um, but wouldn't you like to have the prophetic flow of God in the church? Hmm? The real prophetic flow, not the artificial. Wouldn't you like to have the real power of God in the midst of the people? Hmm? Would you? Now in Father's house there's bread and to spare but you've got to get to Father's house. And Father's house happens to be the tabernacle of David. Did you know that? We're built into a building which has got to be the habitation of God, it says in Ephesians, which is the tabernacle of David. There, it has got to be the dealings and the cryings out going on in our lives to bring us there. Now God wants to bring us there. God's on our side. God said through Christ, if any man will let him come, So he's taken away all restraining powers. There's opposition, but that's for your benefit, so that you can grow strong. I mean, you have to grow strong to climb mountains, don't you? And the tabernacle of David set up on Mount Zion. All you've got to do is get to the top. Don't you think it's rather an exciting prospect? Hmm? That God has said, look, you can have all the glories of this, just come this way. Draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you, says God. Seek me with all your heart and you shall be found, you shall find me. If any man comes, I'll in no wise cast him out. So God's saying, look, if you'll come, I'll meet you. Cornelius is fasting, praying. Angel appears to him about the ninth hour and says, look, go send men to Joppa, you know. Get this Peter to come. Peter comes and start speaking and God fills them with the Holy Ghost. I mean, isn't that the way we'd like to live? Hmm? That easy. But it doesn't say how many doubts and fears assailed Cornelius when he started seeking God. How many Jews would have said to him, ha, you're a Gentile, you're, you can't have God. What are you, a centurion and a Gentile? You've no rights to come. And yet he was a devout man who sought God. Hmm? Began to get hold of God and God, in his grace and mercy, sent someone with the word. Now, 
God has given us opportunity. But we've got to take hold and lay hold of that opportunity and say, all right, I will get through to God. Though everyone else give up, I won't. You know, you can make time to pray. You can make time to read your Bible. I was sitting down with someone the other night and talking about it. And I think back to when the church first started. I used to go out, and I don't say it to boast, I'm just telling you the facts. You don't have to believe me if you don't want me to ask my wife. But I used to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning.